0: Broadcasting from beautiful, tropical Vero Beach, Florida, it's Money Nation with Ed Gardner. Good morning and welcome to Money Nation. Today's special guest is Steve Letchford. Steve is the co-founder and the president of Banda Health in Kenya. Steve, old friend of mine, we went to Lobo Christian School together back in the day. and Then we went, both went to actually Shaker High School. Uh, Steve then went on to Cornell, where he became a doctor at Baylor University. Cornell first, then Baylor. Was that right, Steve?
1: Yeah, University of Texas for med school and Baylor for residency.
0: There we go. And then from there, he went to Africa. Now, Steve, why does a Cornell educated doctor from U Texas and Baylor pass up on being a surgeon and the good life in America to go work in Africa? and help start build some small hospital in uh, Zambia. Is that where you went first? Tell us about that.
1: It is. Yeah. That, probably the better question is why does my wife do it? Who's a suburban Texas girl. Um, but the, uh, uh, I mean, my, my story was I went to Cornell and I wrote in my essay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, no, I want to be a doctor one day uh, in Africa or, or uh, somewhere and that came from uh, my dad was older when he got married and had worked in Africa, uh, still during the colonial era, and had set up an education system. A lot of the guys he'd trained had gone on to lead the country in independence. And those guys uh, and other of his friends used to show up at our house in Loudonville, actually there, um, Willow Lane. And he um, uh, and the guys who were the most fascinating to me were the doctors. And they, because they had the, you know, I'm a seven and they have really cool stories about having to kill a mamba snake before they do surgery because it's climbing in the rafters. And. You know, the power goes out and I got to build a, you know, hydro plant or something. So as a kid, those stories fascinated me. And by the time I got to Shaker, it's like, no, I was good at biology. And uh, I didn't even actually know what a doctor really was, um, honestly, until, uh, until I was at Cornell. And I spent a summer in Nepal. And as soon as I saw what those guys were doing, I thought and that was with some other people from Loudonville. Uh, the Hales were out there and, and I said, no, this is what I want to do. So that was just a matter of what do I got to do to do it? Sherry was a suburban girl, so she had no idea till her first date uh, what this kind of thing even was, and exactly why she said yes to me, I still don't know, but i'm happy I'm happy she did so <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: so tell us the you, you when you finished school at uh, Texas and Baylor where did you did you do a residency first in the u s and then you went to Zambia and you were the head of the uh mohibi Mohib- Hospital, yeah, or, or
1: clinic. Yeah, Hospital uh, in the northwestern part of Zambia, which is like south central Africa. Um, yeah, so out of out of med school, then I went to Houston for to Baylor's, where I did my internal medicine and pediatric uh, residencies. So I did two residencies, and um, and then Sherry got a job in Augusta, Georgia. And so when I finished, we went there, and we had loans to pay off, and babies to have, and things like that. So. We were, I was then in private practice in, in Augusta for seven years, started a practice and then brought a guy in then brought another guy in. And when I brought the second guy in, then I, he came on a, on a Monday, I think I left on a Tuesday. So we had it kind of orchestrated. So and that practice is still doing great. Um, but so, yeah, we did seven years then in private practice and Sherry was in private practice as a, as a PT. Um, and three of our four kids were born there but uh even when we moved there we knew um we knew where we were going at least we thought we knew where we were going and the country changed a little bit but by the by the six-year mark it was clear the time was coming to go and so Mukingi was happened to be the place that fit they needed what we did um and it uh it fit where we were going so we we went sight unseen we'd never seen the place when we moved there uh with a bunch of little kids so it was a What
0: was it like? Was it like, like really outback Africa or um, was it more of a little city? How, how remote was it in the first place?
1: No, Ed, it, it was, I'm not sure if we'd been before that we would have stayed, right? It was uh, uh, for an Albany kid and a, and a Texas girl. It was, it was a shocker. Our kids were fine because they were little and it was outdoors. You could play, but it was, uh, average income there was probably a dollar a day it was mud huts uh, we had a little cinder block house with a tin roof and indoor plumbing right and that was uh, that was equated to what you get when you go to heaven honestly you get a house like that uh, but um, there were termites that had huge cracks in the walls it was it, our house was a shocker for us and it was glorious compared to what everybody else lived in that and then probably the killer was HIV. Uh, it was the late 90s. HIV was at its peak. No drugs, no PEPFAR funding, and life expectancy dropped into the low 30s while we were there. It was wow. Was wow. You saw a lot day. of that
0: when you were a doctor there?
1: Oh, it was, it was relentless. We lived right across, you know, it's a little, it was a 200 bed hospital, and everyone lives pretty close to it if you work there. And so I literally lived right across from the, the generator and the morgue. And the morgue every single morning. Uh, Daniel was two when we moved there, uh, and um, he used to say, "Dad, it sounds like ghosts because people would wail starting at six a.m. and it was for whoever had died the night before."
0: Oh my um, lord! So yeah, that's
1: crazy. So, yeah, it was it was uh, it was sobering. There was a lot uh, for us as as entitled Americans, basically. There was a lot we had to do coming to grips with that. You know, we're just human, and we are not the savior of the world we're we're here to get honestly, as much as to give because people were exceedingly uh, generous and gracious uh, with us. So it was a great place to do life together with people. And we How
0: many friends. years did you stay there? You, you helped build that up and then you handed the reins over to someone else. Was that, yeah, was that, it, was
1: that- we were there uh, seven years uh, there. And then uh, before we moved to Kenya and um Yeah. The hospital had hit its 50th anniversary when we were there. We were the last of the missionaries basically heading the hospital. uh, And there were guys, I mean, the country had grown everything had grown. And so I, I handed over to a guy named uh, a friend of mine named Fumpa. And he's still, he was guy doing our cataract surgery. uh, And he was the brains. Even when I was heading the hospital, he was the brains behind it. It's good good to have
0: brains. Good to have good people with you.
1: Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So.
0: so, so then from from Zambia, you went to Kenya, and you went to the Kajabi Hospital. Uh, tell us about when you first got there in '06. How
1: mm-hmm. was it?
0: You know, it's today. It's a, a three hundred fifty bed hospital. It's a big nine operating rooms. They're expanding. You said it's yep. it's a, one of the bigger operating hospitals in Kenya. Tell us about when you got there in '06 and how things have uh, changed over the last fifteen years.
1: Yeah. It's you know we moved there. We never planned to move there, and it was honestly the type of place I didn't want to go because it was much bigger, uh, much more centrally located, had more assets than what I was used to working in. And uh, but essentially, I got uh, I got multiple sclerosis while we were in Zambia, and eventually I just had to get out of the heat. And so we moved to Kenya because the alternative was moving into air conditioning back in the U.S., and that's not what I had kind of grown up wanting to do. So. We're at 7,000 feet there and it is, it's uh, um, it just, it's got the right location and it's ability to train. So we've, we've grown from 200 and low 200 beds to 350 um, and uh, it's all Kenyan run by high our a pediatric surgeon, uh, Ken Muma heads it right now. And he essentially has a power team. There's uh, uh, one guy from one of the missions that's still uh, on his team, um, but it, it could have been it could have been anybody. So it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a top level hospital. So in Zambia, they have six levels. And so we do teaching stuff. We do a lot of referral. It's a referral level care. Um, so if you need brain surgery or you've got bad orthopedic stuff for uh, intensive care, that's where you come. Um, so
0: it's amazing how you're teaching all the Kenyans to be nurses and doctors and most of the staff are Kenyan you're saying now, right? Our yeah, next and, honest,
1: and, and it, the, the, the people who are heading uh, even, even just where are we going educationally are, uh, are the Kenyans. We're basically there as, as team members at this point. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to see. There's been a big push both at the high end. So over the years, we, we have trained neurosurgeons and plastic surgeons and others. Um, the, uh, um, we've also made a big push as a team developing mid-level people. So nurse anesthesia, which in the U S you take for, for granted, we, we run this often the second busiest operating rooms with nurse anesthesia. Not only did we train them, but our guys started the program together with the government and the government asked us to extend it. And we've started doing the same with critical care and, um, and emergency care. We're training a mid-level cadre of, that are not physicians that can, if you drop dead in front of them right now, um, they're the one you want. They will, they will have you on a machine, intubated, your blood pressure back. Um, they know what they're doing. They're very good. And amazing. so it, it extends care, keeping costs at, at least somewhere close to what people can afford. So That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, now, Steve, your your new thing is you're the now the president and co-founder of Banda of Health. Now, you still you said you still help out in the OR and the ICU, but your your nine to five job is not with the Kajabi Hospital anymore, but with Banda Health. Tell us about your new Banda Health and how you're trying to get medical like medical huts all over or or throughout the Kenya area. How does that work?
1: Yeah. So, well, I'll just make a disclaimer. They don't let me in the operating room. Uh, that would be dangerous. So they well, do. Now you're now I'm,
0: you're administrator.
1: Yeah. No, well, they let me in the ICU. So that's OK. Oh, uh, okay. But the um, uh, yeah. So Bonda Health is is it's a parallel nonprofit, basically, that we set up a few years ago. And uh, our uh, our objective is to use two things, and that's technology and relationships to get in and empower, work with Uh, the little tiny clinics that are in the slums and the villages, essentially the places that see the poorest patients in Kenya. And now we're extending into other countries, but if you're the poorest patient, where do you go first for healthcare? Right. And those are the places we want to get in. Uh, The alternative is to go build a bunch of those clinics yourself. No, you could never, people are doing that. You could never get far enough. So uh, our approach has been, how do we get in, meet the guys who are already there, figure out what help they need and use technology and some relationships to help them. So the um, uh, maybe I'll just uh, start with those two things. What is it that actually, what are we doing right now? And um, the, we have 50, about 50 clinics that we're working with right now and they are, you could picture them as a storefront clinic in a slum. So you have a very tight, you know, small road, three, four story buildings there. And they will just be a little, place next to the meat market or whatever that happens to be a clinic. Um, and so they are run almost essentially never by a doctor and they almost never have an accountant. So they're, they're mid-level guys, nurses or health officers that run these things. Um, and we get in and think, great, what do you need? And so the the first guy that we did of these fifties is we, we've been with him. He's really helped us develop. His input has helped us develop. But Boniface started using our stuff when essentially we have it's software as a service, which, you know, think Salesforce, think Microsoft, Google, they, you know, their stuff is online and you, you pay for it as you go. And so we, we have a solution that's online, which means we can scale it. They have to have one computer at least and internet. So right now with cell towers everywhere, internet, even the slums is, is there and it's reasonably, uh, nice. reasonably priced. But once they get that, Boniface uses our system to track every patient that comes in uh, their name, what they saw him for, how much he charged them, what he sold them, because all these little clinics sell you a drug. So uh, Boniface's worry is is uh, someone in the backside in his office stealing his drugs, right? So if he's got Tylenol, now what happened to a thousand Tylenol? Now there's no question as to where you're mes- you see exactly what you brought in, what you sold. Um, and so um, for Boniface, even when we, when we first started, just as an example, um, Within a week of starting to use our very early stuff, he was saving an hour a day. How? He didn't have to sit down with his books and count how much money came in yesterday, right? He was no more Simple. He actually would wake up in the morning and on his cell phone, the system had sent him an email that says, here's your report from yesterday. You go check the money, put it in the little bank thing there, go on. He says an hour a day right off the start. So that's uh, 30 hours, 30
0: hours a month, right?
1: No 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 it's it's very quick and and for um he's he's basically quadrupled his volume in that time and been able to keep his staff a pretty tight size staff he's now building his own place um and uh, we just released another tool which will save him 16 hours a month um doing a gov- one government report or or a set of two government reports um and so it's those kind of things we will often ask him what do you need we figure out what is the problem he and all the rest of them need solving and we figure out ways to solve it and the good thing with these guys is they never lie they don't always know what they want but when you give them something and they start using it you know you got it right and so we can see because it's online we can see right away are people using what we gave them if not go ask the question again and figure it out the other we're going cool to we're going
0: to take we're going to take a quick break steve yeah. okay and then we're going to be right yeah. back
1: uh remember, listeners,
0: any questions at all, feel free to always give me a call at 518 255 8854 Or you can email me at edgardner at cutterco.com. We'll be right back.
1: All opinions expressed by Ed Gardner and or his guests on the Money Nation Show are solely Ed Gardner's and or his guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cutter and Company or any of their affiliates. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Ed Gardner and or guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only in as an expression of their opinion. Ed Gardner's and his guests opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither Cutter and Company nor affiliates and or subsidies warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Always talk to your financial advisor before making such decisions.
0: Welcome back to Money Nation. So Steve, by the way, you know, I went to Loudmouth Christian, Grammar School, you did too. Last week's guest was, uh, Andy Pesner. Andy Pesner is a 24 year old kid today out of Loudmouth Christian and, uh, we talked about his business, him and his brother. He also went to LCS. Uh, laced up, laced up are their sneaker resellers out of Albany and Brooklyn and Queens. They got six stores. Twenty years old, Steve. They went from five million in sales to twenty million in sales last uh, in the last two years. Pretty amazing. Yeah. That was a good interview. That's that crazy. was the week before. So we got kids, uh, young kids from uh, a Christian, doing good, good things, great things. Yep. Um. Let's go back and uh, talk about what are the clinics like? Uh, Tell us a little bit about how these clinics work and uh, we'll start there.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ed, these, uh, at this point in my career and like I'm 60 now and I'm sure I ever pictured I'd be doing this when I was 60, uh, getting to hang out with these guys uh, has been, has been amazing. Um, You know, in, in the, in these slums, life is, is incredibly tough uh, and, uh, why you would go and set up a clinic and try to make money in there is, is, is a good question when you have your own family raised. And there's one lady who sort of, uh, and there's, there's multiple, but this lady Mary, her husband just passed named Joseph, um, sort of typifies who, who we get to work with now. And Mary was a, a successful nurse. She actually had two clinics in a nice part of town. She was making plenty of money. Joseph, her husband, was an auditor. It was like 20 years ago. So they are probably in their mid-40s or something, uh, auditor working for the government. They were doing fine. Um, and But across the river from one of her clinics was a slum. And she said, when I asked her, like, Mary, why did you guys start this place? And the place was called... Um, Kana. And she says, cause Kana is where Jesus did his first miracle. And these people needed a miracle in here. And she says, no, I was right over there. We had, we had a clinic, we were doing great. Um, and one kid, one street kid came in, like she thought it was a street kid came in with a problem. So she treated them for free. She says, you treat one street kid for free. You got all of them. Right. And so they all started coming to her clinic. And so eventually she said, boys, where do you come from? And she goes mom come and see right and so she said saturday morning eight o'clock i met him here and they walked me and this was like 20 years ago this was while i was still in zambia in the 90s and this hiv was everywhere and she goes steve she goes every single room and again these are little tin rooms sort of squalid she goes every single room we went in there was an adult dying of hiv she goes and i went back that day and she goes that whole next week i couldn't balance my books like i just i couldn't think so, so eventually, and she's a big woman and a strong woman. She went and told Joseph, who I don't think had a choice. She goes, baby, we are selling the house and we are moving down there. We're going to go help those people. And she says, my my pastor told us we were crazy. Everybody, she'd been there 20 something years. Well, they, she gets down there and she she literally has to, it's the slums. So who owns the land? The government. Nobody you can't buy that land, but it doesn't mean you can't pay money for it. So she's she's paying money to somebody for not even a title and she gets this little plot in the middle of everything, she puts up some more tin and she says, the women were just dying in childbirth in their house. So she goes, I went to all these little midwife people and said, you keep your money, but deliver in the tin in our hospital, right? Which was these tin things. Um, and she goes, right away, maternal mortality just went down to zero because most of the time they're just bleeding post-delivery or something and dying for a reason they didn't. So that starts, she ends up building a clinic and she says, Steve, she goes, all these kids they had no education. So they just they don't wait for anybody's money. They just build a little school and so they build this school and she gets some some teachers to come in. And again, it's a super tight little space in there. Everything's packed. And she goes, while we're there, the teachers start coming to me and say, no, the girls are getting raped at home. Right. These little school girls are getting raped in the house. And she goes, huh. So they start this girls rescue center. And again, Ed, it's just everything's in this this small block area and it's so compact. And then you know, they squeeze another building in that, um, they build a little church down there. When I was, I go down there uh, fairly often. No, they're putting an operating room over, over the church. And I go, Mary, you guys don't even have a doctor here. She goes, that's all right. We'll figure it out. We have to have an operating room because we have to do C-sections here. Cause if we send them out, they don't make it right. Um, and she, she was just relentless. When you ask her about selling her house, she goes, that was our kid's inheritance that we sold, you know, Uh, uh, yeah. So that kind of people, and you know, they see probably 300 patients a week down there, 350 patients a week. um, And they still, even today, you know, they're 20 something years on, they got massive struggles just trying to, you know, when you charge their, their average bill is probably $3. And that includes drugs that they're selling people. So their margins are unbelievably tight, um, but just getting, just getting to be down there and figure out, great, what problems do you have? How, how can we help in a way, uh, in a way that works for you? Uh, and so we've done that with Mary, uh, and her team down there. And then there's, um, there's, there's plenty of people like that, but they're, um, they they have very basic uh, you can if they don't have a computer they can often get one um, they they can get basic internet down there um, and so there are there are ways to begin to help them um, or getting them connected with other things part of what we do is we can not just bring technology but relationships and help getting them connected to places where they can get drugs that aren't counterfeit cheaper and things like that so yeah
0: how many how many um, clinics do you have right now you said do you have like 50 or yep. 40 or 50? 40, for
1: 47 right now. So we're getting close to the guys. We'll probably be 50 in the next couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: What are your, what are your
1: expansion plans for the next couple of years? Um, you know, I, I tell the guys we need to do our emphases are right now are two. One is we've got to get a more powerful solution so we can take care of their business issues pretty well. And are starting to be able to help them with some of their clinical decision-making problems. Uh, to a whole, a whole other level. Uh, okay, I think I just lost something here. Um, so, 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 getting, um, getting our solution, so it's more powerful, and so that's essentially adding a lot of clinical uh, firepower on the back end. But the other thing is, is we'd like to get now from fifty clinics to a hundred. I mean, we started this thing with the goal of getting into several thousand clinics. Wes, the guy who co-founded uh, Bonda with with me told me he's a tech guy. And he's at the beginning, he said, Steve, no matter how hard the technology is, that's going to be the easy piece, helping people, figuring out how to get people to use it and figuring out how you help solve problems. That's going to be the hard piece. And it it definitely has. So we can put a new, we can put a new clinic up online and 20 minutes. It doesn't take us any time. Um, And so we could get the people in the clinic set up who's going to do that. Do you help
0: with that or do people come, you know, do that themselves? How does that work? No, no, we just,
1: it's online. So we just, all we have to do is get a little bit of information from them and we, there's a new instance, we send them the, the, I mean, if you got a, if you got
0: a new little town somewhere and they want to join, does someone have to organize that or do you help put it, put it, put a a new clinic, you know, in a place that doesn't have one currently? How does that work? No, no, we find locations.
1: We we always work with existing clinics. And so the clinic, Yep. There. So the, the clinic basically, and we have gotten some clinics started and we've never visited them. We just, they contact us and they want to use our stuff and we, we set them up. We can set them up uh, online easy because that's what we do. And then we uh, train them. The larger ones uh, we need to have someone on site to help them uh, begin to learn stuff. So
0: would this software be used in other parts of uh, Africa or other parts of the world. I mean, can you, could you, would you give it away or sell it? Or how would that work as far as this software that you've developed for all this?
1: Yeah. So we, we have built on an open source platform. It's a, it's like SAP. There's an open source version. That's it's fairly mature of, of SAP that's used in the corporate world. And so that's our end. And so that, and then we put our own front end on it. That's, that's very, very simple. Um, so, so that piece is there. We have just started working with clinics in Uganda. So we have a number of clinics in Uganda now, and, and we have our sites on, uh, four or five other countries and because it's online uh we can we can work in other places that's it's not that big a deal so yeah i mean the technology is not the big deal the uh, the people part is again the big deal so
0: so we're uh, running out of time here steve thanks for being with us i did want to tell you about uh there's another there's like i call him little steve Latchford, uh Eamon rooney another kid from lava christian and i'm good friends with his parents and uh he was working in Congo as a, like a, just a college kid. And Dr. Joe, what was his name? Joe, Joe
1: Harvey. Yeah.
0: Joe Harvey. And he Harvey told Smith. me, I heard stories of Eamon when he was like, basically, you know, very, like not a tense, but really, and he assisted on these surgeries for like almost like a year. What a, what a way to get thrown into the fire and, you're just a college kid, and you're sitting there with a surgeon handing him utensils and watching him do surgeries day in, day out. And Eamon now is at Florida State, uh, becoming a doctor. But yeah, I, when I heard about him, I go, "That's Steve Luxford. He's little Steve Luxford." Yep. So, Steve, you're doing great things over there. Love talking to you. Thanks for calling in from Berlin. You're going to how much longer? Are you going to be in Germany. When do you go back to? Uh, kenya
1: uh, we'll be back on november 12th we'll be back in kenya so yeah not fantastic too
0: much we're going to yeah. catch up we're going to check in with you in the next six nine months i want to hear it. it's fascinating what you're doing fascinating you're teaching the kenyans how to uh, become nurses and doctors and administrators and it's all great stuff and uh you know really thank you thanks a lot for doing all that work yeah
1: Ed, great seeing you
0: good seeing you steve and we'll be sure. back we'll be uh back in touch with you soon Okay, again please. listeners thanks for being with us today and any questions you feel free to give me a call at 518-255-8854 you can email me at edgardner at cutterco.com in all previous interviews you can go to youtube and just search money nation thanks everyone for being with us and have a great day